is there uh, a cast of characters that Luke has put together uh, under divine inspiration. Um, we think of uh, people like Elizabeth, uh, who was a relative of, of Mary, uh, who had the one that we call John the Baptist. Uh, Elizabeth is one of the characters who Luke gives us. Uh, Zechariah, uh, John's father. Uh, of course, Mary, and then Simeon. Uh, all of these people, along with the angels, uh, sing in the early chapters of Luke, chapter 1 and 2. There's a lot of singing going on, and there's a lot of praising of God. What we're really looking at in this series is the gifts that Jesus brings us. What does Jesus bring? He brings gifts. And today we're looking at a particular virtue, a, a man who was virtuous. Um, a virtue is a beautiful quality of, of the soul. Have you ever been around a truly virtuous person and, and you sort of picked it up and you got it? They, they communicated to you something in that moment when you observed them and it was a transcendent experience, it was lasting. For me personally, I have to give you a story about my mom. Uh, I was a young little boy, about 10 years old, and we had traveled as a family um, across from Long Beach, California to Yokohama, Japan, a 16-day voyage on a passenger, passenger freighter uh, called the Oriental Ruler. It was a, a Chinese vessel, and uh, my father came up with this idea because he was, he was studying in Taiwan for a master's degree. And he did not want to be there the whole time without his family. So it was actually cheaper to travel on a, on a passenger freighter than it was on Pan Am Airlines back then. So we traveled, and we were on this, uh, on this freighter, and it was a great experience. Uh, I had access to the whole ship. I was 10 years old, I'd go down to the engine room, uh, go up to where they steered the ship. And actually, for about 10 minutes, I was given the opportunity to steer the ship. How about that? And... Uh, and I was instructed that if I'm off one degree, we'll miss Japan. So I, so, uh, it was a great experience. Um, but when we got to Yokohama, my, there were about 30 or 40 other passengers on, on the plane, on, on, the tra- on the ship. And uh, so he's talking about planes. And, and there were about 30 or 40 other passengers, and we got to know them really well. We had talent show night. We had uh, dinners together, breakfast, lunch, all the time playing ping pong, and you know, just hanging out together. So I found out that when we got to Yokohama that we pulled in and all the adults were planning on a, a night out on the town. I heard this, got, got the word about this. And I went into our, our room there where my mom was, and I noticed my mother was not preparing for the evening. And I explained to her that all the adults were going out on a night on the town. And she explained to me that she was traveling without my dad, and it was not appropriate for her to go out without my father. Now, I'm 10 years old, and this is the first time I think I've ever acted in in a selfless way. It was a big moment for me. And I'm pleading with her to go out because I am starting to, I realize that for 16 days she was stuck with the kids on this boat. And I thought it would be a great experience for her. And I, I, remember, I remember weeping for my mother 
realizing that she's going to be stuck in the boat one more night with the kids. And again, she explained to me that it was just not what one does. And I did not know at the time, but in that moment, my mother was communicating to me a beautiful virtue about marriage and faithfulness. And she was communicating that her husband's love was enough. She didn't need uh, a night out on the town with a bunch of adults. Now, she could have enjoyed that with her husband, but it was, just, it was just this whole message of it's enough to know dad. It's enough to have my children. I don't have a need to go out and have, have a night out on the town. And as we think about Simeon, we are looking at a person who is he is being led by the Spirit of God. He's actually the recipient of special revelation. That means that the Spirit of God has informed him that he will be uh, able to see the Christ child before he dies. And as quickly as we learn about Simeon, he sort of departs from the scene. He's there in the temple and he is led miraculously. The temple was actually quite a pretty big structure, and there must have been dozens of couples there that day to dedicate their children to God. And it's, it's really kind of a miraculous thing that he even bumps into Mary and Joseph, and he recognizes, he is led by, the, by God's Spirit, that this is the one, this is the anointed one. And what we, what we learn from Simeon is his first response is really instructive, because Simeon says, Lord, your servant can now depart in peace. That's his first words. And what he's saying there is he's saying it is enough. Think of this whole life. Think of what he owned or didn't own. Think of all the things that he may have enjoyed or didn't enjoy. And he is expressing that in the sight of the Christ child, it is enough. And uh, what I want to just share with you in the time we have is just a few quick ideas And first of all, that this is hope embodied. Hope embodied. And what's happening here is that he is saying, uh, let me give you just just by way of an outline. You'll see it there on page 12 on on your worship folder. But he is saying that that this, this hope that is seen, what he sees with his hope, um, it is enough. And I want to suggest to you first First of all, that that is contrary to the way we normally live, that we fight against this. And I'm going to explain that in just just a moment. That that, That what we're seeing in Simeon is something remarkable and not normal for the human condition. That's that's all I want to say at the beginning there. Then secondly, I would like to share with you that hope accepts what is coming. And then thirdly, hope begins to speak. So let's, first, let's tackle this first idea. When you look at a, a character in the Bible, a person, and they are pious and righteous, and there are a number of them, when you think about someone like that, sometimes we just gloss over it. We read about Simeon, and he was righteous and devout, and we move on, and we sort of read our Bibles, and we don't pause to realize that that is a work of God's grace right there. No one is born with this tendency to love God or to be devoted to God. And if you're not a Christian here today, I want to assure you that the good things I hope you're seeing in the people around you are not natural to them. 
they are not born uh, with uh, that kind of love and charity and grace, graciousness about them. Nor am I. And when we think about this, this one who is waiting on God, who had probably spent decades in the temple, a pious, prayerful man, waiting, as uh, Luke records for us, for the consolation of Israel, meaning Israel was really messed up at the time. They had not received any revelation from any prophet in 400 years. The consolation was they had a a, a wicked king in King Herod. They were under the subjugation of Rome, and they, uh, for for centuries, had never been a free people. And, of course, the consolation of Israel is going to be when the son of David that had been anticipated, the final son of David, would finally come and begin to reign. That is the ultimate consolation. That means the, the... the, the healing, the, the assurance that God would be faithful. That's what Simeon is doing. And all of those qualities, that patience, that long-suffering, none of those things are natural. Now, I want to I really drive this home. I'm, I'm probably going to spend more time on point number one than any, any of the others. So let me, let me present this to you in a very visceral way. <laughs> this comes from a book uh, by a guy named Gregory Spencer out of Westmont College. And he wrote a book called Awakening the, Quiet, the Quieter Virtues, and I've been reading it, and it's pretty profound. And let me, let me illustrate to you how difficult it is for us to put on virtue. That's what I'm going to illustrate. Virtue would be humility. Uh, virtue would be chastity. Uh, virtue would be faithfulness. Okay. I, w- I want to illustrate this. This is from the book. He says, here's a scenario. Let's suppose your favorite neighborhood wish-granting fairy comes to you and says, I'll give you one of two choices. You can have a perfect body, the face and figure and muscle tone you've always wanted, and you'll never have to exercise or diet to maintain this body. Or you can have perfect humility. Who's signing up? Which one will you choose? See, doesn't that illustrate where we actually live? You see, when we are here and we're listening to the story of Simeon, who was an extraordinary person of virtue, the question comes, do we really want to be virtuous as a people? You see, before us is a choice. In this illustration, it's the perfect body or it is perfect humility. As a Christian, we are to be pursuing the things that would be virtuous and godly. Are we on that pursuit? Are we on that road? Is that work of change happening within us? I want you to observe another aspect of this. It's not just that uh, central to the story is Simeon's virtue, but also I just want you to notice how special God's leading is in his life. And I want to assure you that that is actually happening for you as well. God is doing a special work of leading Simeon. And he is leading Mary and Joseph. And Mary and Joseph are, are observing God's law. And Simeon is being led by the Spirit. It's interesting that these two things, the law of God 
and the Spirit are cooperating perfectly in this story. But hope has been created in Simeon's heart. And what's what's quite remarkable is, again, when we emphasize the idea that this is not natural for us, notice what he says in verse 26. He describes God and gives a title, and he says the the title is Lord. We're familiar with that term. But the, uh, the original there is Lord, Master, Sovereign Master. And in the same sentence, he says, Lord, now your servant may depart in peace. That word servant there can be translated slave. It's a very intentional use of the word. And this is how Simeon understood his relationship to God. God was sovereignly overseeing Simeon's life. In the chaotic, disturbing, disappointing condition of Israel at the time, Simeon is holding on to God's sovereign mastery over the calendar. And what's also noticed of note here is when he uses the word servant, what he is saying is, my, my place in life is sufficient. My role in life is adequate. I receive it. There's an old English word. We usually uh, don't use it this way. We don't really even use it at all. And the word is station. My station in life. We usually think of a train station, perhaps, right? A station in life is your your place or, or your rank. This is, a very, this is most likely a very poor man. And he is willing to accept his station in life. Now, I, again, I want to emphasize that this is not natural to us. And if you are here today and you are uh, a believer, I want to just assure you that you are recovering from a restlessness and a a dissatisfaction in your station in life. And one of the works of God to sanctify us is to bring us to a place where we are receiving God's will, and it's happening right now. If you in the military did not make your next rank, I want to assure you God is adequate for you. If your, your uh, socioeconomic status uh, changes um, for the worse, it's easy to say. Your station in life is to be received by God's good hand. He has not failed you because uh, your circumstances are not the way you would want them to be. God has preeminently shown his faithfulness not in our circumstances. Preacher is talking to himself. God has not shown his faithfulness in how well my life has gone according to plan. He has shown his faithfulness in orchestrating the arrival of his son from heaven to earth. And he he accomplished redemption. And then, in a marvelous way, he took this resistant heart, he took this dissatisfied heart, this heart that was opposed to him by nature, and he took this heart and he transformed it and made it soft. Now that's a circumstantial change. 
That's worth saying, Lord, I'll take that. I receive my station in life. And what's remarkable about this passage is this, is what's going on is that God, who is sovereignly free, is connecting with the joy of a man on earth. And those two things are merging together. And Simeon's joy is a joy in the sovereign God who made this happen. Those two are connected in this remarkable, simple little passage. And if you want to work at something in the Christian life, here's what you can work at. Lord, I want my desires, I want my happiness to be connected to your sovereign, your sovereign ability to be God. I want my happiness linked right there. You you can hitch your wagon, the wagon of your happiness, to lots of things. They will mostly end up in a ditch. But you can do that. And what's happening here is a a man, by God's mercy, has, has his heart connected to God's sovereignty. And when he sees what the sovereignty of God looks like, his heart rejoices. Isn't that beautiful? That, it doesn't get any better than that. Uh, people like Jonathan Edwards, uh, John Piper, they have all committed uh, decades of study to this subject. You'll never be more happy when you're happy in the glory of God. It's just, that's just how it is. That's how you've been, been wired God is sovereignly free to do his pleasure, and Simeon says, right on. And we we resist this by nature, but God has done a work in us, and uh, we have this residual remaining aspect of us called the flesh, and it is still something to be subdued. It is at war within you. The Spirit of God has been given to you as a believer, and that Spirit is moving you to delight in God's sovereignty and God as a person. And the flesh in you is saying, I don't know. I am fundamentally suspicious of God's goodness. And that is a battle of the Christian life. I hope that you feel comfortable here at a church that acknowledges the struggle of that. It's very, very important that you feel comfortable saying, no, I just don't if I even want um, I, I even want God's will in this situation because I'm so determined to get my way. I hope that you could even pray that way in a small group or with friends here. That you would be free to share your struggles. So we are, we are watching a person who is saying, hope, hope seen is enough. Hope seen is enough. And I, I want to encourage you that if you're a Christian here today, the Jesus that you have seen, while he can be uh, more deeply understood, while he can be more deeply grasped, you can learn more about him. I want you to know that God has done a work in you that is going to continue to motivate you to get to know him. You, by your own nature, do not have it in you, but God has given you a nature that is moving you to delight in him. It's happening, it's happening now. It's underway. So be encouraged. So point number two is very simple. Uh, seeing enough hope, hope accepts what is coming. And we, we know the story of Simeon. It's a, 
It's the story of one who is resigned to depart from this earth. Um, it's one who is able to face death. Hope by nature is forward-looking. And uh, it has been said of the role of a pastor, uh, this is quite, quite stunning in our day and age, the role of a pastor is to help people prepare for death. And uh, it is the most real thing about our existence. Uh, it, it has been sanitized quite a bit in our day and age. People pass away, and they're often outside of our view. Um, they may be buried somewhere, but the cemeteries are not sort of central to where we live. They're sort of off here, off there. And death is actually something going on all the time. And the church, its central role is to preach in such a way, to minister in such a way, to form life in the church in such a way that we are now overcomers in Jesus Christ and that the fear of death, which is real, does not control us. And that at the level of our fears, the gospel is to be working. Not to deny that that is a very difficult thing to face, uh, particularly when life is cut short. But here we have, very simply, hope is demonstrated here as, as Simeon sees enough and then he is able to accept what is coming. He never sees Jesus teach from, from the mountaintop. He never sees Jesus who heals. He never sees this Redeemer who accomplishes uh, salvation on a cross. He doesn't see these things. But to see the Christ child, it's enough, and he's able to accept uh, God's future for him. There's a writer who, uh, who said this, hope frees us from the need to predict the future. Hope frees us from the need. Uh, it's a fundamental truth that we really don't live by because we plan so well. We have so many planning devices, so many apps, so many ways to organize our future. The truth is we don't have a clue about our future. It's very hard for us to believe that. I live down the road. I live in, I live in a calendar that's already in 2015. I'm already there. And hope is saying, Lord, I'm willing, through, through the sight that you've given me in Jesus, I'm, I'm willing to accept a future I cannot manipulate or control. Something beautiful about that. And that the gift that Jesus gives this man, say, is a beautiful gift where he is at peace entering into the last days of his life. What happens when we live for the present? When we hold on to the present? When the present is everything for us? Here's, a, here's an insight. We live as wounded, deprived people. Because we are aware of all that we're not experiencing and we are trying to grab all we can out of life and I would encourage you to see enough of Jesus to let it go. We are 
not satisfied. We are dissatisfied, anxious, bored, trying to fill our lives with stuff. And contentment is, by and large, elusive. I want to encourage you that you are, a fa- uh, you are the son and daughter of an amazing Heavenly Father who is working at this level in your life to, to cause you to be content. Contentment is not just sort of resignation. Contentment is really the daughter of hope. Contentment is, is, is a receiving of, of, of God's station in your life for you, but it is also a, a willingness to serve and to work, but it is not anxious. And then lastly, it's such a beautiful thing, seeing enough hope speaks. You know these characters in Advent, uh, Zechariah, Elizabeth, and Mary, and Simeon, they're all speaking. At some point, uh, they have received the news, and they speak. They have words to say. And look at Simeon's beautiful, beautiful statement that this child will be a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and he will be the glory of your people Israel. You think about how God's redemption of you is to change your speech. Do you know that your speech as a believer in Jesus is to continually and always be edifying and redemptive? That when you speak to someone else, uh, you are to give them words of life. Simeon, in this moment in the temple gives this extraordinary picture of what God is doing. It is a global vision. It transcends this moment in the temple, and he gives words of life for the world. And I think that's so instructive. When we interact with one another, do you know that people around you need to be reminded of God's big picture agenda? That that is the counseling that happens within the church Inevitably, we have come with some, something that someone else is bothering us, or bugging us, some circumstance, and what we need, all of us as counselors, what is the big picture going on here? Do you have a redeemer in this moment? See, we do not see the totality of our salvation, and we need a, a far greater glimpse of how secure we are. I want you to know, as New Testament believers, when you look at that, that chunk of the Bible called the New Testament, Simeon knew none of it. He's, but he perceives the essence of it. And he lived with this hope, and this hope was communicated in words to other people. You should think about whether or not as you speak, as you teach, as you counsel, are you seen and understood as a person of hope? You should go to talk to them. They'll, they'll be good to talk to you. Why do you recommend them? Well, they, they can bring hope to the situation. Hope dashed and hope lost is a sad place to be, and that happens to us. It happens to us, happens, happens to us in the church. Excuse me. 
And this messianic hope was a peace for the, for the nations. It's redemptive. And then one final thought here is this, is this is it. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 communicates to us, church, today these words. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, new things have come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. In our speech and in our communication, God has already framed the, the agenda. He's given you a title and you are an ambassador. You, are not, you have ambassadorial speech. You represent his agenda, his mission, and his methods. It's pretty cool, huh? You have a, a calling as Simeon spoke in this adoration prayer song, you have a calling for speech that builds up. You have an ambassadorial agenda. I pray for us that this virtue of hope will more and more uh, characterize us, uh, our fellowship groups, our meeting one-on-one, our, our interactions at, in, in worship, that we will be a people of hope for our community, a people who have a, a quality of uh, an ability to help others see the bigger picture and to rejoice in God. Hope, may it move our feet. Hope, may it move our mouths. And may we begin just a, a journey of exploring more and more about what hope looks like as a church. Let's pray. Our Father, I would thank you for the virtue of hope. Uh, I, I pray now 